Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I am hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Aha! Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Monkey tennis? Bring, bring. There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Damn! Monkey tennis? Love this, my foot on his With a chuckle, with a chuckle. No. Monkey tennis? Radical, awesome, mega. <laughs> Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. Okay. Monkey tennis? Edmunds is a total wasp of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. I said, who the hell is that? <laughs> this is great banter. Yeah. Back of the net. Monkey tennis? The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. I am your new host, Digital Dave. Today I am joined by... Adam Brooks. I'm not expecting an easy ride, Ray. I know you're one of the toughest in the business. Tom Dark. The Anoraki Iraqi has been cancelled and will no longer feature on the show. Nick Holder. I was going to play London Calling by The Clash, but it's awful. And Tom Stab. Sadly, knowing me, knowing you, battled against poor scheduling, having been put up against news at 10, then in its heyday. This week, we will be overanalyzing Anglian Lives, the one-off Alan Partridge special from 2003. Over to you, guys. Have a ruddy bloody good time setting the chat amongst the pigeons. Aha. Uh-huh. Thanks, Digital Dave. Uh, and welcome to Monkey Tennis. Uh, so, Anglian Lives uh, came out in 2003. That's the extent of the background knowledge that I've written down, but... I know a man who knows more, and that man is Tom Dark. 
It's good to be back with my mega timeline. Um, so yeah, Anglian Lives was actually aired originally, BBC Two, 9pm, 24th of March, 2003. So this is, yeah, a one-off that came quite a while after I'm Alan Partridge Series 2, interestingly. Um, a full, well, basically about three months after. Um, and I think the weird thing as well, uh, if you look at the whole timeline of the APU, this one-off special will have been the last time that Alan was seen in a new show in character on the BBC until this time began in 2019. So we had 16 years of no new Partridge on the BBC. That is staggering, I thought. Not not to cut straight to the crux of Anglian Lives, but what was the point of this? Was, you know, was this... Because to me, watching it, it very, I mean, before I knew that background about that it was aired basically in a prime time slot, it really had the whiff of a DVD extra mm. to mm. me. And so, and, and also quite heavily leans on archive footage or stuff that we have seen elsewhere. So I couldn't quite work out whether this is something that, that somebody has said, yes, we need this in and of itself. Or was it just off the back of No Me No, oh, sorry, off the back of I'm Alan Partridge, they thought, Mm, it'd be nice to have a bit more, uh, you know, substance around the idea that he's released bouncing back. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's it, it does seem a bit of a weird one with with the hindsight of, I mean, how many years? We, oh God, what we're nineteen years on from it now. Um, I did find the original, so you can still find some of the original Partridge uh, website pages, BBC Partridge website pages. So if you go to bbc.co.uk forward slash comedy forward slash Partridge forward slash life forward slash anglian.shtml, uh, you can find the the page about this. So I thought perhaps for the context, it's worth reading what that page actually has. So this is obviously how it was sold, I guess, within the APU at the time. Uh, a documentary on the life and career of Norwich's finest broadcaster, Alan Gordon Partridge, is to be aired on BBC Two, 9pm on the 24th of March 2003. In the programme, Alan is asked tough questions about his divorce, Toblerone addiction and his autobiography Bouncing Back by formidable interviewer Ray Woolard. The documentary will show rare and previously unseen footage of Alan broadcasting on Radio Norwich, commentating on sports and reading extracts from his book. He also talks candidly about the state of television today, his hatred of London and his three rules for life. So that that's the APU setup, which obviously all does make sense. But I think, yeah, from a real life TV point of view, to have a one off three months after and no follow up, it makes you think kind of, was this plan to lead into something else, I wonder, originally? I would also just add to uh, Adam's point that I'd assume that this was a DVD extra because I'd say it's more than a whiff, Adam. It's a stench. It absolutely stinks <laughs> of a DVD extra. <laughs> um, and it, it it feels like it's essentially the stuff that was left on the cutting room floor that they've thought, can we extend this into a programme if only we could get Peter Bainham for a couple of hours? We've got a, we've got a sort of loose idea to help stitch this all together and, and that's what we've got. I'd say its closest relative in terms of Partridge stuff that we've covered before is probably something like Open Books. 100%. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it effectively, Open Books came after this. Open Books is to I Partridge what this is to bouncing back, basically. And also it? just looking at um, Peter Bainham's IMDb, this is the last time he appears as an actor, I believe, within the APU. He comes back sort of as a writer in, and slash uh, producer on Alpha Papa, uh, and Alan Partridge and other less successful characters. But as a out-and-out actor, quote-unquote, this is the last time he appears uh, in the APU on screen. 
it, it's also weird as well, the kind of questioning kind of almost why this exists, because in terms of Alan world building or universe building, it's actually like a very clever piece of programming. So we'll get into whether it's actually good throughout this episode, but in terms of building the mythology and particularly the bouncing back extracts, I think what then comes later in the Alan timeline with the Gibbons brothers and things like iPartridge, you can definitely see how they've used some very small details in this show to help colour in a lot of the Alan story that we haven't seen on screen previously. I'd also say that it it, um, it does something that becomes more commonplace in Partridge uh, lore, um, which it starts quite subtly, but it builds up and it's very obvious by the end credits that this is a programme that Alan himself mm. has had some hand in the making of, in the shaping of. Um, and I mean, I've got kind of more of a detailed theory about that, but this, the, this is like the prototype or the beginning of the sort of comedy we see down the line where things are made by Pear Tree Productions and the joke is in the editing and, and in the the editorial choices he's made. This is kind of the start of that idea. Yeah, I, I did have that. I thought that, is that the case? This is the first time we've seen something made by Pear Tree, right? Um, well, I don't, ah, yes. technically this isn't made yeah. by Pear Tree, um, which we'll come on to at the end when, when we talk about the credits, but it's definitely something that, Alan has a hand in every aspect of this program being made, even if it isn't his production company actually making it. Um, and I, I think it starts early doors because you have obviously you have the host Ray Willard um, introduces Alan as having had a fascinating past and an amazing future. <laughs> and I thought <laughs> the word amazing is the first giveaway that this is all Alan written. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, a couple of other things about the intro that I particularly loved. While he's giving him this sort of like lofty literary introduction, the evidence in the background is the front cover of Crash Bang Wallop, <laughs> which goes no way to justifying this sort of an <laughs> intro. Um, there's also a little bit about Alan's, a, a bit of an Alan House update um, that it's worth talking about. So is it an update or is it a s- lie? Well, he's got a self-built five-bedroom house, which I'd presumed this is what he was making, is why he was in the static caravan, Mm. was to build this house in three acres of land with access to a private stream. Well, we know later on, I don't know if he's in the same house, but he complains to Lynn about people having access to the bottom of his garden. Um, I also had no real concept of whether three acres of land was impressive or not, so I did look it up. (laughs) It turns out three acres is is a a decent amount of land. Um, It's the size of 45 tennis courts, it's the size of 54 average sized houses. It's the size of 468 parking spaces, uh, eight hockey rinks, um, one fifth the size of Buckingham Palace, um, or two million times the size of a post-it note. <laughs> so something to brag about then. I think it is. I think it's a braggable amount of land. Yeah. Um, can I just dive into the Crash Bang Wallop VHS case that's on display before before we get further into this episode because I did go off on a bit of a tangent here but I think it's worth it's it's worth a minute or two so obviously you see you see the VHS case of this behind Ray which uh in the APU that's the first time we've actually seen the actual physical product right so of course we've seen a clip of the show but never like the VHS box of course this is worth a mention because as we discussed last week uh a eagle-eyed viewer spotted uh this VHS case in an episode of Little Britain. So in an episode called Hard-Boiled Egg-Eating of Little Britain from 2003, uh, they're in a a video rental shop and you can see that video on the shelf. Um, So it's just, I mean, it's amazing that um, it was spotted, but 
it's kind of good to see, yeah, that definitely is 100% the same thing that we see here. So I was wondering, what is there a link here? And I did come up with a theory. I mean, it's ridiculous, but I'll just rattle through it. Um, so aside from, of course, these both being BBC comedies that were shot and broadcast in 2003, of course, the, the art director on Anglian Lives was a guy called uh, Simon Rogers. So this I've done a bit of digging on IMDb here. Simon Rogers also worked on shows including Time Trumpet, The Thick of It, and Come Fly With Me and The League of Gentlemen. So you've got a link there, which is Mark Gattis. Is it Gattis or Gatis? I always get that wrong. Mark Gatis was the script editor on eight episodes of Little Britain, including that one in 2003. Um, and of course, also, so then you've got the League of Gentlemen link. You've also got Come Fly With Me being a Matt Lucas, David Williams thing as well. So did Simon Rogers hand over this fake VHS tape to Mark Gatis on the set of League of Gentlemen? Or to Matt Lucas on the set of Come Fly With Me. In the interest of moving on, let's just say yes. <laughs> That's my theory. Yeah. A great, a great bit of fact yeah, excavation, cool. though. Um, Simon uh, Rogers, if Alan, you're listening, get in touch, let us know. Do get in touch. Please do. Um, so Alan is answering a phone call while the intro's happening, which I thought is, is funny, obviously, because there's a lack of professionalism. But also, because of the position he's in when he's taking that call, it leads me to believe that he's holding cards for um for the host to read like obviously he's written the intro but it feels like he's all he's also trying to kind of control the delivery of it um and only abandons that when he gets this phone call because you, you see his eyes going don't you yeah the eyes are the eyes are kind of darting yeah it, it's a very subtle look from peter bainham but it did make me laugh when he sort of does that little look it's like unbelievable but that, uh, my, my favorite bit of that is just like peter bainham stops talking stops talking and then you just hear alan in the background go excellent <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminded me a bit of um there's a few there's a few points like that in i partridge aren't there like doesn't he take a he takes a phone call in i partridge where he goes oh, absolutely yeah. not and just, just that kind of that yeah, yeah. lack of professionalism i no. think we see displayed no, uh further down the line yeah absolutely not yeah <laughs> um so there's some opening footage of alan at work um already and immediately showing him either sheepish or annoyed with whoever's brought his tea and it, i thought it's quite nice that the footage opens with him in a state of discomfort there's no kind of relaxed I'm at work having a having a fine time. He immediately brings up his divorce. Uh, I think in the, through the medium of a phone in, um, saying fifty percent she got is weighted against the man. <laughs> is it at this point that, that he's also described as the best and best loved radio presenter in the region? Something he also definitely wrote. <laughs> I don't understand why, for the purposes of purposes of this, meaning Anglian lives, they're in a different studio. For no apparent reason, it just doesn't. Re- again, it like it doesn't really make sense. In I don't know. I, I don't really know why he's in a different studio. But then also, what I did notice, and I don't know, and this is a question to the group: Did any of you recognise the top that he's wearing? I didn't look it. Oh, because it's yeah. Um, it was the, the black and white when he's sort of playing the airbase. Uh, same top. It is indeed. Yeah. It is indeed fr- that same top from uh, I know what Alan did last summer when the tax inspectors come and visit. So obviously filmed around the same time. It makes sense chronologically that I'm Alan Partridge series two came out and then this came out afterwards. So to the point of that we've kind of been making previously of you know is this stuff that was just left on the cutting room floor. Because it's a separate studio and a different setup and a different way of sort of Alan presenting, I do wonder if this is kind of maybe not rehearsal footage, but like sort of test footage where because we saw um, in the DVD extras for this time, them obviously running through 
different interview scenarios and setups in a very different studio in a kind of like mocked up in, studio. Well, that is it. That is in the actual one show studio. They did that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, of course. But it was kind of it obviously Blanked sort of curtained out, yeah. off, so yeah. you couldn't see couldn't see that. So part of me does wonder: was this stuff that is effectively stuff that's been left on the cutting room floor? Is it stuff that um, that that didn't make the cut from the original scripts, but did make it as far as rehearsals in some kind of mock up studio? But then also, if you were doing that kind of rehearsal stuff, would you bring a kestrel in? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. You just have someone pretending that they've got a kestrel. I mean, I, I, I would think there. the. Uh, I think the reality is going to be, you know, they just couldn't get access to the studio or rebuild the set they had from the previous series because they'd have had a gap of quite a few months before they got to shooting it. But it is a bit weird because, yeah, the the fact he is in a different studio is quite noticeable. Um, yeah, perhaps that studio just isn't kestrel appropriate. Yeah. Maybe for a, a, yeah. a bird of a bird of that wingspan, you need a larger space. And obviously, no uh, audience. So we know that series two, I'm Alan Partridge. I'm sorry, mm. and series one, people say, "Oh, the second series, uh, why was there a laughter track added?" There wasn't a laughter track added. Adam knows very well. He went to go and see one of them recorded. I, I was that laughter track. So. Why is this filmed without a studio audience? Unless they were going to and Cad laughter later, or whether it's just test slash rehearsal. I don't know. Maybe we'll never know. I mean, my memory is very faulty of that period now, but I Uh-oh. can honestly say <laughs> I can I can honestly say there was no there were no scenes in Anglian Lives that I remember seeing at the record of I'm Anna Partridge series two. Um, I don't remember there being many offcuts at all, to be honest. Um. So moving back to the introduction of Alan, I like that they try to sort of add some drama to his upbringing by saying that he was born into a changing world of rationing, teddy boys, apes in space and the launch of ITV um, (laughs) to try and make it sound like he lived in, in a more dramatic time than the rest of us. But taking that same tack, I figured since most of us were born in 1982, you could argue that we were born into a changing world of Thatcher, the Falklands War, the launch of Channel 4 and the end of the Ford Cortina. Great. So you know, you can you can literally what? pick a year and, and try and make it sound equally yeah, dramatic. Just, just to confirm, uh, I was born in 1984, not 1982. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did say no, mo- no you cares. did say most of us. To be yeah. fair, <laughs> I, feel, I feel sad for you that you'll never have those those touching memories that the rest of us share about the Ford Cortina. <laughs> oh no, I need to find what mine are now. Um, yeah. So just to go back quickly, the, the idea about him in the studio being rehearsal uh, footage or kind of cutting room floor stuff. I think probably doesn't hold weight just because you think there there are add-on Alan or extra Alan bits on the DVD releases from both series of I'm Alan Partridge, which is all scenes and offcuts from kind of larger scenes we, that we have seen. So I would think particularly because there definitely would have been a shooting day with Peter Bainham in the fake TV studio anyway. So yeah, I, I think that probably isn't the answer. No. I'm sure it isn't, but it's just kind of trying to speculate and work out why this thing exists. There's a nice uh, gag here that I think they continue in Future Partridge and in other comedy, to be fair, where there's a voiceover over Alan, but then in the gaps between the sentences, you hear him say something terrible. In this case, he's giving kids, uh, sick kids secondhand toys and then telling them that they're rude when they admit that they've not heard of him. I love that. <laughs> so that was obviously from yeah. um, Naomi Knowing Yule originally, that section, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I was yeah. going to say, I don't know, qu- a question to the group. Did any of you watch this show when it originally aired in 2003? I, I don't think I did, and I was a huge Partridge fan, so I, I, I don't know how it passed me by. See, 
I think I've seen clips of it, mm. sections of it, maybe on YouTube over mm-hmm. the years, because there were some things that I I remember. I mem- I remember Digital Dave and that interview, but I don't ever remember watching the whole thing. So to my mind, I, I feel like particularly because of the way this show starts, you've got this kind of clips package of stuff we've all seen. I think at, back in the heady days of 2003, I'm pretty sure I started watching this and just went, oh, this is like one of those shoddy clips programs and never watched the whole thing. And of course, with it being 2003, that is, you know, unless if you recorded onto VHS or something, it was kind of then just gone forever sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, maybe a few clips online over the years, but I think this is the first time I actually sat down and watched the whole thing. So they mentioned that uh, Alan replaced Peter Flint on Scoutabout. Um, Peter Flint and Scoutabout also, uh, it seems, referenced in iPartridge. So that's another another reference that's been woven across the APU. Um, he also entered the top eight of BBC Sports presenters, um, which I thought was really good. Obviously, it's funny because it's specific. The, the top eight is not really a thing. But I also, it, it did remind me of MySpace. Um, so I did quickly cross-reference. Uh, and MySpace had just about launched when this was first broadcast. But I do think that the reference to top eight is a coincidence. The um, You've got the other reference there as well in this bit. Um, he talks about uh, being at Radio Smile at St. Luke's. Uh, and again, that also tallies with uh, I Partridge, much like uh, Peter Flint. Um, in I Partridge, he wrote, I spent 94 wonderful months behind the mic at St. Luke's. Yep. And I think we worked out on the podcast that that's about yeah. eight years or seven yeah. years or something like that at Hospital Radio. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I liked the idea that the reference that he makes that was uh, Tom Stabbs intro today that that he was up against the news at 10 which was then in its heyday Um, because it's one of those things initially it sounds absurd you know the idea that current affairs rise rise and fall like their entertainment but then it is true you know like ultimately they do have ratings those ratings do rise and fall arguably less people are watching the news at 10 now than they were (laughs) in 2000 whenever this went out so it's it's one of those things that often happens in partridge where it sort of it feels a bit absurd to say it but there is a kernel of truth behind it as well i feel like in 2003 as well like it was just a very much a a joke at like face value because it's probably post 2003 the advent of proper rolling 24-hour news channels which obviously would then have disrupted the appointment to view nature of the news at 10 so yeah that kind of was Initially a silly gag, which became quite a prescient point, probably. Um, They blame the cancellation of No Me Knowing You equally on the dumbing down of network TV and the fact that he killed a man on air. The voiceover describes it as a single (laughs) catastrophic hitch. (laughs) Hitch, brilliant. (laughs) Um, I don't know about anyone else, this all felt a little bit close to the bone just because of recent news events around uh, Alec Baldwin and Rust. I think for every other time there's ever been a sort of Forbes McAllister um, reference it's always felt quite funny. And this time I felt a bit like, oh, this this wouldn't play very well now, would it? Yeah, and I think when that happened, I think we did have a few people send us messages like, oh, lol, accidents or partridge. And it's been like, yeah, we're not going to go there. Someone's literally died. Um, I haven't actually made that connection, to be honest. But you're right. Through through that prism, this this joke becomes something else that's less pleasant. <laughs> yeah, less not quite. Um I I enjoyed the reframing of him being forced out of TV as him embracing a lifelong ambition to return to his roots, which which is is great for so many reasons. Obviously, you know it's it's reframing the past. It's, it's him being unreliable, but it's not. Surely it's not. It's not f- like 
temporarily possible to have a lifelong ambition to return to your roots you might you must have had to have had the roots to begin with so it's just nonsense as well um and it's also i think there's there's a real joke here about the level of editorial influence he's got i wondered on a local i mean presumably this is supposed to be like a kind of low budget you know almost like a cable tv wayne's world type setup anglian lives that on a show like this, he can A, be a big fish in a tiny pond and B, have the kind of editorial control that he would never get if this was like a big deal or a nas- or a proper national show. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I, how I thought this is supposed to be kind of seen, that the concept is, yeah, it's like a local TV show that's profiling notable Anglians. But I thought perhaps the, the nice concept for this in, in the APU is it's quite possible that Alan made one episode to profile him and then decided to make no more. Because by that point the job was done. Because <laughs> I also thought actually during this intro you have you have this um, the voiceover saying things like now single a keen businessman and always on the lookout for new investment opportunities. He's essentially made this show work like an extended advertorial for him. Yeah, what I yeah, quite and- like about that uh, always looking for new uh, business opportunities or something like that. Uh, it, it cuts to him picking a shirt off a rail in uh, Norwich mm. Market <laughs> and just looking at it. <laughs> Just a great business opportunity. Sometimes a shirt can be a business opportunity. Um, yeah, I think that's entirely plausible that this is the one and only episode of Anglian Lives. Sorry, Delia, we're out of time. Where are you? Um, there's a nice bit where um, they start talking about bouncing back and immediately it comes up on screen with a £14 price point. <laughs> Nice to see the, the retail price included in the captions there. Um, and this is the point where he where he comes in with my opening line today. I'm not expecting an easy ride, Ray. I know you're one of the toughest in the business, which is brilliant because by this point, it's completely apparent that Ray is an absolute pushover, ready to just lob very softball questions that Alan's prepared for. Did you note that um, when he, the first book reading is chapter one beginnings, which is... Of course, the same as in iPartridge. Although in iPartridge, it's not just a list of yes/no questions. No, no it? it's not. The, the text is not the same. But I did like that. You know, I, I think there are a few details in this program that I quite like that the Gibbons have bothered to basically take the detail and pull it through to to their work. Just looking at beginnings. Just looking at beginnings uh, in uh, iPartridge. Uh, I just really like the opening sentence. When I was an eight-year-old, I suffered a nosebleed so profuse and generous, I bolted from the schoolyard and sought solace in the first-class countryside of Norfolk. Um, I do like that vid- uh, that uh, image of Alan just pr- profusely nosebleeding. <laughs> and just like that, he's got you by the jaffers. Yeah. Um, they elaborate quite nicely about his Toblerone addiction as well um, at this point. Namely, that they tried to get the story sponsored by Toblerone and Toblerone were up for it, yeah. apparently. But Alan drew the line at having a mini Toblerone on the cover because he thought it would trivialise the content of the book. Yet fast forward a few years and suddenly it's all Alan Partridge drives this Kia. I often think it's a bit of a shame that we miss out on uh, some of the visuals uh, of things described uh, by Alan um in sort of books or things like this and um, we don't get to see them uh, on tv and <laughs> alan describing how lynn had to break a toblerone that got wedged sideways in his mouth with a toothbrush is definitely one of them yeah and he uses the terminology like break it break its back he kind of gives it this sort of humanizing quality where does a toblerone have a back can he break it i mean technically technically you can but it's the choice of language that that really sets this joke off um I like the uh, the hints at the negotiations before broadcast about how Alan's 
career shambles would be handled. But then this is this ends up being one of those bits where he's sort of he's arguing with his own lines coming out of Ray's mouth. Like he's clearly scripted the whole thing, but he ends up as we've seen many times in the APU, losing an argument with himself. You know, he's like, you had a fantastic career in TV, yet you ended up walking away. That's the truth. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know it is uh, as well in, in this first section. Um, I just enjoyed the sheer heft of the laptop on the table next to Ray. Just, you know, very much of its time. Just, I enjoyed that. And um, it, I think Alan kind of seems to imply that Ray's wife beats him. Yep, that's definitely yep. there. There's also a, 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 a reference a little bit earlier to an alcoholic producer whose wife has left him again, which seems so specific. I wondered if that was somebody who's referenced elsewhere in the APU, but I couldn't find any evidence of it. It is, and I meant to look that up and I've forgotten. <laughs> uh, and it could... I think it's in the chapter It's in the chapter where he, um, uh, he, he rents the uh, apartment in Hyde Park or something around there. Um, he does mention a producer who gets beaten by his wife. It's not a Gabitas, is it? Oh no, he's a he's a drink driver. I think the Gabitas thing. I've got eye partridge here. I'll just have a quick look. There we go. It's really hard trying to match the uh, minor characters to their many crimes and or crimes committed against them, isn't it? It's a it's an absolute rogues gallery. And I've, I've got a whole Gabitas wormhole to go down later as well. So strap <laughs> in for that. When we get to what it. I like about this is that the questions we get from Digital Dave, just a quick note on Digital Dave, we get no context as to what mm. it is, who it is, why it's there. It's just like, shall we have some questions from Digital Dave? Yeah. Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah. I'd like, it's just absolutely no explanation of why it's not just uh, Peter Bainham asking the questions. The questions that Digital Dave poses as well are so, are so <laughs> odd and so strangely conceived. That you kind of wonder who's put them together. I mean, it probably speaks to the general production val- values of, of Anglian lives, but the questions are quite startlingly odd. Um, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but I find Alan's responses quite quite strange as well. Um, and he doesn't really give them much time to develop an answer. Not that there's much that you could really say to some of those um, questions. I'd assumed that these were going to, when they first introduced Digital Dave, these are going to be questions that have been sourced from an audience of some kind. Like these are questions from fans of Partridge, but it's hard to tell, isn't it? Like you say, some of them are very kind of docile and some of them are sort of quite rude, almost like confrontational. Um, We learn through the course of his answers to Digital Dave's first round of questions that his divorce from Carol took two and a half years um, and I particularly enjoyed um, when they, somebody asked what advice he'd give to like, you know, a, a young person going to London. But he says, go for the day, visit Madame de Swords, get the hell yeah. out. And to be fair, I think he's kind of done American football quite well. It is sort of his futuristic rugby. I think that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Although I would disagree um, on his best way to cook a sausage. Um, I think he loses confidence in his own answer, to be fair. But prick the skin to release the moisture. Yes. But I also say just before you're about to serve, splay and then spread on the pan and then you can ensure that you've cooked the middle as well. Now, I, I think I'm hoping that Tom Stab is going to have a strong opinion on this being essentially, uh, let's say, head chef of the podcast. But I did look, I did find an old Guardian article uh, where they were debating that, well, they were basically delving into this uh, hot topic uh, and according oh, to this okay. article, in Nigel Slater's Real Food, you must never, ever, under any circumstances whatsoever, prick a British sausage of any kind of quality. If you do prick, you will only allow a good deal of the natural juices to flow out during cooking, making the inside drier and lessening the flavour. However, 
John Tarode, the MasterChef judge, says, Always prick them before frying to let the fat out, he advises, without troubling to explain why you would ever wish to do such a terrible thing to an innocent sausage. So uh, two sides uh, of the debate there, go- although it's probably cooking methods is what's yeah. important. He, he, he goes on to say that advice also doubles for Greg Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't really, he doesn't really. But doesn't Greg Wallace look a bit like a sausage that should have been pricked some time ago? <laughs> yeah, the sort of meaty filling has popped out of his neck and that's his, that's his head basically. <laughs> yeah. He looks like an unpricked sausage topped with an ecstatic egg. Uh, this is often a slight tangent. Did you guys see the thing about Greg Wallace commenting on his daughter's Instagram saying print it whenever there was a great photo, print it. <laughs> really enjoyed no, that. But that's, Look it up. That's, that's, a fun. that's lovely. I, I'm surprised that in, just final point of Greg, Greg Wallace. <laughs> I'm, surprised yeah, yeah, I'm surprised they don't feature him more often in in the Partridge universe yes, in the same I way agree, they refer I to. He, he, you know, he is part of the lineage that goes Edmonds, Holmes, mm. Wallace. I think um, he, so he's in Nick Knowles, like uh, Dominic, whatever his name yeah, is. Well, Dominic Littlewood. I feel like that's it. Um, yeah, Greg Wallace looks like he's won his role on the BBC in a competition. Applies much more to him than Dom. I think Littlewood is actually yeah. getting way too much attention, when actually Wallace is the real target here. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a fair I mean, point. Little, Littlewood has pretty much no profile. Wallace, love him or hate him, has a pretty significant profile. massive. And I don't understand what other commissioners at the BBC thinking, yes, let's recommission him. Uh, a baffling a baffling commissioning choice for me. <laughs> so, back to the Alan action. Um, it's anti-London night on Alan's oh, I show. Love this. So, I mean... Again, this ties in nicely to the timeline because this is around the point that he's, uh, you know, in Iron Man and Partridge Series 2, talking about being mugged or not appreciated when you go to London. Um, so only natural that that would then bleed into his show. Um, as Nick said in the intro, he was going to play London Calling by The Clash, but it's awful. You've also got, he calls Elvis Costello a bloody hypocrite for his song, I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea, even though he lives there. Uh, this is also where uh, my intro quote, the Anaraki Iraqi has been cancelled, comes from as well. I missed that line the first time watching this. I was like, oh, <laughs> a different time. Yeah. Yeah. Would you? I feel like there's a few things that we're going to discuss over the course of um, these these shows where you just think, would you say that now? Probably not. Um, there's a bit of silliness in him uh, mispronouncing Titanic and James Cameron as Titanic and James Cameroon as well, which we've seen this kind of thing in Partridge before. I always find it's a bit, it's a little bit obvious and a bit throwaway, but yeah. fine. <laughs> there is something quite funny about Titanic um, though. Um, and keen, keen to discuss curry post film. Does it make sense? It makes no <laughs> sense. I mean, it depends what time you're watching the film, surely. So let's not be too hard. Is it I, basically I, I get, it's Burger King before a film for Adam? It cannot be curry post film. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I suppose you could argue for a curry post film if you're a freelance partridge working at your own leisurely pace um, and you're going to see a film at maybe four in the afternoon. But if you're starting your film at 8 pm and then go for a curry afterwards <laughs> and the film was Titanic, that's We did massive. say he could, I mean, he's, he's, do he's probably an afternoon viewer. Oh, yeah. He's probably an afternoon viewer, isn't he? Because he's basically doing the graveyard shift radio, so. Yeah, good point. I, I think, though, either way, um, bowels are getting destroyed. Yeah. Alan is the sort of person that goes to see films at the cinema on his own, not because he just enjoys that, because he doesn't have much of a choice, because maybe outside of Michael, 
I don't think he has anyone that he could go to see a film with at the cinema. Um, he'd probably make Lynn go with him, whether she liked it or not. Yeah, although he'd yeah. have to pay for her time, so <laughs> yeah, pr- probably wouldn't. Yeah, and she'd have and she'd have to sit in the row behind him and make notes about the cast so that he can <laughs> refer back to them later. Um, in in this in this section as well, the other note I had is about the the question: Where do you think TV is going these days? And the answer is just downhill. It's like again, he definitely wrote all of these questions to kind of make a point, but. I also love the fact that he never really elaborates on these points as well. The answers he gives are just so short and don't really go anywhere. Just downhill. Um, there's a lovely mixed metaphor as well where they say, he frequently sails close to the bone, <laughs> which I enjoyed. Um, and then we get a caller, which I believe is Roy, uh, but yep. not. But in this instance, not from Bungie. Case St. Edmunds. Right, so Roy move, has moved, oh. but hasn't let, hasn't let his move... Uh, prevent him from bringing into Alan's show every day. I also, I also think, um, yeah, that that is true. And I don't know if this is an appropriate point to, to say this now or at the end, but for me, this call is the absolute highlight of the show. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think there's loads of funny moments in this, to be completely honest, but I thought this this call was actual comedy gold. I, I, w- I would agree. I, I think the the call, the call, the new, the unseen calls that we get in this show, I think are definitely the highlights because there's, well, we'll yeah. get to it, but there's Roy, we get returning callers Roy and Mary, don't we? And I yes. think I would agree they are the high points. Yeah, I love that Alan basically batters Roy into submission until he apologises for wasting his time. <laughs> and, uh, and, and because Alan, because Alan then speaks to you again tomorrow, yeah. you know that this is a dynamic that plays out over months and months. You know, freak, uh, uh, perhaps Roy would be even more stubborn when he first rings into Alan's show, but at this point, he's he's, he's had a daily conversation with Alan. He knows he's going to get nowhere. He might as well just apologise and, and try again tomorrow. I love how annoyed Alan gets with him as well. The point when he goes, "I know," is so good. Um, and yeah, again, with this speak to you again tomorrow, there's such a resigned tone to that. And I think we've probably covered that on the show before that it's always feel quite strongly hinted that he basically has the same call as every night, isn't it? It's So yeah, like it doesn't really matter what point their argument got to on a Tuesday night, they'll still be ringing in on a Wednesday night. And Roy is obviously Simon Greenall. Sorry, did you guys spot as well? In this section, there's a really odd camera angle choice towards the end where it's kind of like filming upwards like from underneath Alan, which I thought was just so odd, such an odd way to choose to frame half of a conversation like that in a, in a radio studio. It, it doesn't really fit with any of the other camera angles you see, and it's not the sort of camera angle which has been used in any other Partridge radio studio segments. I just thought that was really interesting. That's weird. He's, he's asked a question about theft, where he says he's only ever stolen other people's thunder and the limelight from Sue Lawley, uh, which I enjoyed. Uh, his favourite place in the world, Gatwick Village, also of course. Well, Heathrow is an absolute uh, tit of an airport, so it's only but, fair. But we, I think we can be confident in uh, yeah that, that Nick Knowles also enjoys their uh, a stroll around Gatwick Village on a Thursday night, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, wasn't that Suze Kempner's favourite place as well? <laughs> was it? Uh, no, no, it was one of her favourite quotes that she said that summed Alan up perfectly was that when he was asked what his favourite place in the world was, his answer was Gatwick. Fine, Village. so I basically assigned the answer to her as well, so that's fine. That is now yeah. her favourite place. Yeah. Uh, we also find out that to relax, and this does sound like a relaxing pursuit to be fair, uh, Alan collects celebrity memorabilia. Uh, one of the items that he's um, collected is the script to Action Jackson. Not easy to say. Um, were we aware of this? Um, I can say for one that I wasn't, but having seen the trailer, I do now want to see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd 100% agree. I hadn't heard of it, watched the trailer, and I thought, 
that looks like a textbook late 80s action film. Yeah. It's Carl Weathers, he's topless, shooting guns. The fact the dialogue <laughs> in the trailer alone includes things like the bad guy saying to him, you haven't learned your lesson, he says, teach me. And uh, there's another line where he says, what do you want from me? And the bad guy says, I want you to die. I was like, yeah, <laughs> sign me up. I, this also, is brilliant. He jumps over about three cars in the trailer as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he like forward runs so, over about three cars. So many explosions as well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't expect anyone's gone this far down the rabbit hole. But I wondered if Action Jackson was the uh, the inspiration for the name of controversial rapper Action Bronson as well. Oh, maybe. Uh, yeah. Want to research in your own time, or if you're a listener, or Action Bronson, <laughs> why not get in touch? So it's safe to say that none of us uh, have have watched the film Action Jackson. It is quite difficult to say, um, but we know a man who does. Producer Jed, who is, uh, I, I don't think he would mind me saying, quite the expert when it comes to sort of movies of a uh, niche, <laughs> uh, in a niche capacity, sort of like B-movies and horror films and stuff like that. He has, of course, seen Action Jackson. So we are going to do our very first ever film review uh, on the podcast, and we're going to pass over now to producer Jed, and he's going to give us his review of Action Jackson. <laughs> Welcome listeners to Jed's One Minute Movie Reviews, a new segment that nobody actually asked for, but I'm editing this so it's going in. Action Jackson is the 1988 Carl Weathers classic directed by a personal hero, Craig Art Baxley, who you might know as a director of other action classics such as Stone Cold starring B-movie king Brian Bosworth and Dark Angel starring Dolph Lundgren. To put it simply, Craig knows movies. Carl Weathers plays the titular action Jackson and fuck me, he lives up to his name as a tough-as-nails Detroit supercop on the hunt for a power-hungry magnate who has decided to wipe out all of his competition. Sharon Stone plays a lady whose sole character trait is to tee up one-liners for Carl to knock it out of the park, but he never actually does. He does look great all greased up with his shirt off, though. What people tend to forget is that Action Jackson was made by the same people as Die Hard, Predator, Lethal Weapon and The Matrix, utilising much of the same cast and crew. It's not quite as awesome as all of those films, but people like me, with a certain type of trash sensibility, it really hits the spot for us. They really tried to turn Kyle Weathers into the next action hero, but unfortunately he was let down by the script and the fact that he didn't have a gun for almost the entire movie. Look, this was the 80s. You need big guns, big hair, and big balls. Instead, they just engineered ways for him to jump off high things. Buildings, trucks, people. Didn't really matter, as long as he can jump off in slow motion and shout, Whoa! I give Action Jackson 7 on 10. See you next time on Jed's One Minute Movie Reviews. Brilliant. Uh, we always knew that Jed would, would come through with an excellent uh, review of uh, such a classic 80s film as Action Jackson. So thanks, Jed. Also, if uh, you've been listening to Jed for more than 90 seconds, then promises about brevity have not been kept. <laughs> uh, we will, uh, if you haven't seen the trailer for Action, Action Jackson, we'll, uh, we'll post a link to it on our socials because it is really worth a couple of minutes of your time. Should we quickly discuss the other bits of memorabilia that Alan collects to relax? He's got the dashboard of the Jaguar XJ6 
as driven by Edward Woodward in The Equaliser, and also trousers worn by Tom Baker as Doctor Who. Uh, obviously, the joke here is that he didn't get the scarf, which would obviously be really the only recognisable piece of Doctor Who character clothing. And I think it's kind of the same thing with the dashboard. It's the actual exterior of the car that would be the famous recognisable thing. So I think the overarching joke with these things is Alan is correcting rubbish celebrity memorabilia that basically has no value. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Uh, back to the studio. He's with his guest, the fun, 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 funny hawker, <laughs> um, who actually I think does a pretty decent bit of wordplay here when they're going from super talk, super hawk, super kestrel, kestrel super, super tramp. <laughs> it's the sort of wordplay normally that he would enjoy, but for some reason today it's riled him massively and he's not having it. Yeah, it might just be because there's a live animal in the studio. He's, he's a little bit off his game for this interview, I think. Uh, we also learned that um, during this interview that he made a programme called A Country Ramble in 1994 for BBC TV. I wondered, were we aware of this already or is this a detail that's just been thrown in for the first time? I love the fact Tom's shaking his head and Adam's baffled. We literally discussed this as part of the Knowing Me, Knowing You special. Yeah. I mean, that was ages ago. I mean, yeah, that was about four or five e- years ago. Even but I um, remember this one, yeah. guys. Come on, keep up. Come on. Keep right, up. Nick, talk us through it. <laughs> well, just check my notes here for... Uh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> Country <laughs> um, do, uh, the, do the extra, I think, on uh, No Me, No yeah, yeah. I, Yes, of course. Well, I, yeah, I can cover course, so yeah. the, a Country Ramble. The Mike Oldfield stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a Country Ramble yeah. originally aired as a standalone short as part... Standalone short, does that make sense? Uh, a, a segment within a show called Christmas Night with the Stars in 1994, hosted by Fry and Laurie. But then this is also aired alongside and packaged with commercially No Me, Knowing Yule um, in 1995. Uh, onwards so i do think it's in a way it's a bit weird because they use about two minute two full minutes of what was only a five minute short anyway but i did think you know to be fair if a lot of viewers had missed this first time round, unless if you'd bought it on like dvd or taped it from an original broadcast in 1995 it is quite plausible a lot of people wouldn't have seen it 
So it it probably did feel like quite a, a lesser seen piece of Alan at this point. But on on the other hand, lazy. Uh, question to the group. Did you recognise Amanda uh, Crowther? Um, I, I yeah. did, but I couldn't from, think uh, why. From the APU? Uh, I'm going to have to say no, I didn't. Oh. She uh, is the actress, uh, let me scroll up, uh, Melanie Hudson, and she appeared in Know Me, Knowing You. She is Nina Vanier, and she is also uh, a member of the punk band in episode mm. one. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, and uh, Tom, Tom, you'll be pleased to know she has also appeared in Casualty. So, thank God. Good stuff. The uh, the Country Ramble bit is quite dull, wasn't it? Am I yeah, the only one great. that thought it's not I wasn't great. getting much out of I, this? I, I think the Country Ramble um, is good. I just I personally think that in the context of this show, I think it comes a little bit yeah, a little enough. bit out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. But I think when you watch the Country Ramble on its own, it, it is a funnier piece of, of TV because it speaks to his solitary existence that he's walking yeah. on, on you know his own on Christmas Day. It's a bit stupid throwing his watch in the pond and, and all of that. But I think... I do think it doesn't it, it doesn't work as well here just having two minutes of it um, without much kind of context around it. But as a standalone piece, I think it's good. Hundred percent agree. Can I just shock you, Nick? I fully agree with everything you've just said. Thank you. <laughs> um, when we get back to the guest, there is there's a sentence that made me feel a bit queasy, uh, and uh, particularly it got worse I as know it went on, uh, as I, he says I, to a guest. Exactly what this yeah. is. He says. I'm sure there's a sicko out there that would love to put a mini camera on a homing pigeon and train it to believe that Knickers is home. <laughs> yeah. Knickers is home. <laughs> it says a lot more about Alan's dirty mind than anything else, doesn't it? Like, who, who's the sicko here, Alan? Oh, also, like, that's what? not what I thought yeah, you were I mean, going to say either. Oh, no, oh well, I mean, me, me neither. <laughs> This this is this is absolute like beef burgers to swans territory for Alan again, isn't it? Where he's attributing all sorts of behaviour to people, to hawkers and pe- and falconry experts that that would never have. He's aghast that that her kids feed mice to hawks as well. Um, you know, very common practice. Everybody knows this happens. He calls it technically weird, and it's like it's not weird at all if you've got a bit. If you look yeah, after yeah. birds of prey, it's just what you do. Yeah. Uh, Nick, was yours the defrosting of a mouse in the warm water? Uh, it wasn't, actually. I was just keen to understand oh. what the awful story was about Mark Armand. <laughs> oh, OK. I've, I've, who, who's got notes on this? I, I'm, re- I'm ready to delve into this one. I know Mark Almond has sort of had quite public troubles in the past. No, no. So, OK, th- actually, this is genuinely a bit of an interesting social study. So I believe what this refers to is basically a really commonly uh, known urban myth, which was... Mark Almond. So basically, this was like a playground rumor slash urban myth that did the rounds, uh, probably oh. late eighties, early nineties. So the rumor being that Mark Almond had to uh, was taken to hospital, had his stomach pumped, and there was like they pumped out a pint of semen that had nine different types of semen in it. I mean, yes. obviously yeah, bullshit, yeah, but you know, now. you hear that when you're like a ten year old kid, and you go, "Yeah, that's definitely a true thing." So I lo- I looked into this a little bit, and it's quite interesting. It looks like. Every kind of era, this rumour has existed about a different pop star. So it looks like in the 70s, it was Rod Stewart. So Rod Stewart even wrote about that rumour being attributed to him in the 70s in his autobiography. And it's also a bit similar, reminded me of the the Richard Gere, gerbil up the arse story, which again, one of those playgrounds, urban myths we've all heard. So it's kind of mad, like, where do these things start from? And also, it's kind of fascinating to know how these obviously like nonsense stories with no basis in facts like they travel so far and wide as well 
it's also uh, reminds me of the ribs removal yeah, yeah. story that you hear about. You hear about Prince, and then more latterly of uh, of Marilyn Manson. Who yeah, and I, I think that's, I've, that's the least of his I think problems. Even heard that one attributed to Michael Jackson as well. So it's funny. You always get these slightly different regional, like probably, regional variations. Yeah, depending yeah, on which ex- exa- you exactly that. Exactly that. It's it's <laughs> fascinating. But you know, I love the fact that in the script they don't really go into that in any detail at all. But I think the majority of people go. I know what that's a reference to. Um, just back to the guest briefly. I thought it was quite interesting how um, how long she would play along with Alan for. And I do wonder amongst the writers of Partridge over the years, whether there's been some negotiation that's changed about how angry the guests are allowed to get, how, how much they can take what Alan says at face value and how much they're sort of prepared to kind of play along with him. Because I think this is, feels like an example of like, he could pretty much say anything to, to this guest and and she's happy to take it she just sort of rolls with it whereas i think there's been other examples in the apu where people are combative and you know as soon as he says something that's out of line they they call him on it immediately so I just thought it was quite interesting that at, at this point the guests are, are pretty much just there to accept whatever alan says to them i mean i guess it comes down to what kind of comedic point they want to make so whether they want a particular guest to have a victory or alan to have a victory i guess is kind of that's that's always going to be the narrative choice to make, isn't it? Is it time to find out what uh, Alan's three rules of life are? I think so. Uh, I absolutely love this bit of scripting where Ray asks what uh, Alan's three rules of life are and Alan responds with, well, Ray, I've got three rules of life. And you just see this like <laughs> look in his face where he's kind of connected the dots. Does anyone have a note of what the three rules are? Uh, yep. Uh, it is have a cup of coffee in the morning. I mean, yep. Yeah, agree. so far with him. Cut, cut, cut. Can't argue with that. Uh, second one, don't trust anyone. Uh, and third one, floss. <laughs> Lovely. Um, there we'll, come on to this. <laughs> we'll come on to this as we as we continue to cover the road to stratagem and, uh, and Alan's other stand-up. But I thought it's notable that this is probably uh, across our next three episodes of Monkey Tennis, this is the first of three lists of rules <laughs> to live by, oh, yeah. none of which are, are, the, are the same as each other. And they get increasingly long as time goes on as well. Um, does anybody have the list of celebrity names that he's got on his phone? Uh, I think I can probably cover this, actually. So we've got... Yeah, let, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I've got it down, so let, okay. let's let's mark you. Let's see. Let's see if we've got it right. It's Ball, Johnny, Ball, Michael, Ball, Zoe, Boycott, G. Let's come back to that. Uh, Delete Brand, that one, yeah. Brandreth, Carling, uh, Curry, Edwina, Curry, Tim, Curries, um curry fa- oh curry favors um which is the british curry house that puts raisins in curries Ugh, but they deliver hamilton christine hamilton Neil, <laughs> hamilton david diddy <laughs> you got it 10 on 10 also uh a great stickler for ac- accuracy in that Edwina curry is the first of the curries because her surname is c-u-r-r-i-e and all the rest yep. are c-u-r-r-y correct so which out of those names would you like to have the most context about how he got their contact emails <laughs> and why is it diddy <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i i feel like people that he would have in his phone would be I look at things like uh, Christine and, and Neil Hamilton. I sort of like, mm. yeah, I can, I can believe that. Tim, yep. Tim, Tim Curry, I'm, I'm not buying it. No, <laughs> no, that's just a joke on Curry again, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Also, cu- I didn't, I didn't realize like Alan, Alan is so Curry obsessed in this episode. <laughs> um, is this celebrity naming what leads us into a long stretch of Brian Ferry content that we've seen before mm. as part of Comic Relief? Before we get into that, is, it, is there anything to delve into in any of those list of names? I mean, Jeffrey Boycott, 
has gone very UK, well, well, convicted uh, of assault, uh, bad times. Uh, Brandreth obviously appears later in the APU in Nomad. Um, Alan bumps into mm. him uh, and he says something about dining al fresco. And Alan says, brilliant. I've got no idea what he's talking about, <laughs> but simply brilliant, uh, which I always, which I enjoy. Um, Carling, I assume, is Will Carling. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine mm-hmm. so, yeah. Uh, and who's David Hamilton? So D- David Diddy Hamilton. Uh, so... Or so, so sorry, AKA or usually known as Diddy David Hamilton. Um, apparently, he was given the Diddy name by Ken Dodd. Um, he he ho- he's hosted things such as Miss TV Times, the TV Times Gala Awards, the World Disco Dance Championships, Top of the Pops Seaside Special, uh, perhaps TV Quick Man of the Moment Award Ceremony 1994. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, yeah, like kind of basically quite a light entertainment kind of radio and TV face uh, back in the oh, day. Oh, I assumed when he said Diddy, he meant Diddy, P. Diddy. <laughs> <laughs> so Alan, so it, you, you thought in the APU, Alan Partridge had P. Diddy's phone number. Well, that's why I said, why is it, why is it Diddy? Because right. I assumed like he would have no, he would not have. No, Diddy's I also number. think but also, he was... it would be quite funny that he would somehow have P. Diddy's phone number. But I'm pretty sure also at this time he had been calling himself Puff Daddy. Surely, surely uh, I think P. Nick Diddy is, yet to come. I think, his, I think Nick is correct. What year yeah. are we talking? It's 2003, 2003 isn't it? It was the Puff um, Daddy years. We know we'd have cross-life stab for Diddy Watch. <laughs> uh, Jed, just put, put, put some P. Diddy music in quick. So yeah, ba- basically, I think bum, that, bum, bum, Diddy bum, David bum, Hamilton, bum, he's bum, basically bum. a Tony Blackburn type figure. And um, yeah, apparently he, in a... Uh, in 2012, at the age of 73, he danced to the hit Push It with fellow DJ and close friend Tony Blackburn as contestants on the charity show Let's Dance for Sport Relief. So, yeah, t- Tony Blackburn world. Did he watch? So, uh, in 2001... Uh, he changed his name to P. Diddy. So by this time he was P. Diddy, but he didn't become Diddy until 2005. So he wasn't Puff Daddy. He was P. Diddy at this time, but not Diddy. But crucially, not in Alan's phone, as far as we know. (laughs) Definitely not in Alan's phone, no. Um, (laughs) So in terms of whether he changed his name or not, Diddy? Uh, so yeah, this tips into uh, a lot of Brian Ferry content that we've already seen and covered as part of our comic mm. relief um, episodes. It did make me question, the, the line in my notes at this point is, did Anglian lives have to be 30 minutes? Because this is a long stretch of stuff we've had before. Admittedly, if you didn't watch Comic Relief, you know, you might not have been able to get access to it, but it does smack of filler. Mm. I mean, I, again, I feel it's a similar thing to the, the Country Ramble. Like, if, if you missed that originally in 2003, it would have been very hard to have seen it again if you didn't have it on VHS. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's Comic Relief from 95 and 99, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't... I mean, we've seen it. it. It's fine. I don't think it's one of the funniest things. We didn't even get to see Nick Pellets, although I did. I do still find it funny when Alan gets a, a cream pie on the ass. That is quite funny. Not my ass. Not my ass. <laughs> I, I, um, I still love when he says to Brian Ferry, "It's fine if you don't remember, but don't lie." <laughs> yeah. That is still an absolute golden line. <laughs> You're that saying that great. that's fine. I, I, I really think that that second comic relief section with Brian Ferry, not the Brian Ferry bit, but that that year is absolute gold that year of, of the Partridge stuff. Well, that's the the Kate Bush so medley good. year as well, isn't it? Which we will come to. And it's, uh, uh, yeah, week. it's when he's broadcasting yeah. live on the telly and on radio simultaneously. Yeah. And obviously that. And, Ma- and Michael's dressed as a clown. And he's Charity yeah. Charlie. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, a couple of lovely standalone lines come up after this. Uh, the one I enjoyed was, Alan is one of the few people who genuinely enjoys charity work. Um, <laughs> and also, uh, when he when they say to him, uh, you have two children, he says, yes, both unplanned, and unfortunately, they do pick up on it. <laughs> there's, um, I, I thought there's quite a nice lead into the next section as well, when Ray asks him, well, Ray says to him, tell me about your relationship with women. Again, you'd think like, fine, Alan's basically scripted this. He could be using that to go somewhere to make some kind of point, but it comes down to Alan saying, I don't like hairy women. And But then the, what I quite liked, and whether it's intentional or not, we then get Mary on the phone, who I think we've referred to as Hairy Mary in the hairy past. Hairy Mary. Yeah. You Hairy Mary. Um, what did you guys think of this bit? Another highlight? I personally didn't didn't think this was anything like the highlight that, that uh, Roy's, Roy's call was. Hmm. I mean... It, it's odd anyway, like the, the voice, I, f- I find the voice a bit troubling, I, I won't lie. Her, vo- her the, the voice, is, and it's, um, her voice is actually genuinely quite disturbing, isn't yeah. it, I think? It's Amelia Bullmore yes. as well who's doing the, doing the voice. Yeah, I don't think it's that, f- I didn't find this bit all that, all that funny, but I think it's mainly because I find the voice genuinely troubling. <laughs> and the fact Hello, that she- <laughs> and the fact she sent him a doll that was hers when she was a baby. Yeah, and you hear her get visibly upset and annoyed when she finds out that one of the shoes has gone missing. Yeah, you just hear her go. <laughs> 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 oh, it, it is exceptional voice work though with that um, crying and, and laughter. Yeah. That is genuinely yeah. really really good. But I just don't it, find it that funny. It feels a bit more actually. <laughs> this, yeah, would, this would actually fit in a bit better in like a kind of Chris Morris jam type world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very jam, it's isn't quite, it? For, for the Alan world, it's actually quite dark, yeah. Yeah, I think the best yeah. thing about this scene for me was that you had Annie Lennox in the background. That, that was the best bit for me. Uh, I think my favourite bit is you see him press play on what I think is a mini disc player. Yeah, and it says no player disc. says no track. <laughs> 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 I, that's, that's a great spot. Intentional, but I must admit, I think that's amazing. You know what? I think I think if he in a pear tree production yeah. lens, you could argue that's intentional. Yeah. But that's the genius of this, right? Anything in the APU which is made <laughs> by pear tree, if they get something wrong in the real world, they can say, "Well, that was just deliberate yeah. anyway." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do have to stress, this is not a yeah, pair yeah, production, yeah, yeah. and we will we, <laughs> we'll get to that. We will we will come on. We will come onto a credit sequence that I think deserves more analysis than anything Correct. any credit sequence we've ever looked 100%, at. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> is it time to talk about Alan's new book? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> no, right, yeah. I've got. I've got. Uh, I've. I've written very sketchy notes on the plot um, rather than do it verbatim. So here are the edited highlights. TV entertainment, year 3000, 3D TV on their wrist, travel on monorails, set after a nuclear ratings war, one of the stations on Pluto, Jack Jupiter, main character, each day is 10 hours long because they've gone metric on time. Alec Parsons is the rebel (laughs) intent on a seven day week, back in time to the present to see what a week is like. I mean, it's a shame Nero Costa didn't get a look in on this one. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that, yeah, you have... that, that would have taken valuable pages away from Alec Parsons. <laughs> not though, not to be confused with Alan Partridge. Of course not. Um, course did you have not. monorails like in Gatwick Airport? Did you have that bit down? <laughs> it's futuristic. Also, going metric on time would not make each day 10 hours long. <laughs> That's a nonsense. I mean, if you want to start picking fault, I mean, we'll yeah, be here for a long time. So. A, a 3D <laughs> yeah. TV on your wrist? <laughs> uh, Nick, show us your wrist. It's basically the same thing. It, it's it's not 3D watch. and it's not a TV. You could watch Apple TV on that, couldn't you? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you, 
if you're to, listening to this in the future, yeah. f- future me, let us know. Future me is laughing at old me for so many reasons. <laughs> right? Is it time? To, is it time to um, find out who the uh, future faces of, of TV are and who Alan? Uh, only are? if we can go via, via Legoland. <laughs> yeah, I love that he goes to Legoland to think. Uh, You've got to spend a day. Becomes, You've got to do a day. Yeah, and he becomes convinced that a Lego robot is the chief commissioner at the BBC, um, and sees a bird. I haven't. I don't. I don't have the uh, the type of bird, but a bird eating a beef burger, not a swan. However, this is another example of I would like to see this actually happen. What a swan eat a Rather bird just, eating a beef burger. Alan goes to Legoland. Bye. <laughs> For me, I think the two highlights from this book reading are. Uh, like a young Malcolm Brandon from It's the Waterfront. So <laughs> yeah, good. Brilliant. Absolutely mangled. And they're just a very casual skipped over reference uh, to basically having a hose hanging out of his exhaust pipe, uh, which yep. so which is pretty much exactly the same. This is handled in exactly the same way in the I Partridge book when he returns from Dundee. Uh, he, he's writing about Lynn saying she quickly washed and shod me and then began the drive home with the hose pipe dangling from the exhaust like the tail of a giant mouse. So what we can take from that is Alan has had two aborted suicide attempts. Bit bleak, but uh, those are the facts. We didn't write yep. it. Um, I, uh, I I think this is we're, around this point we're at our last visit to Digital Dave. Um, I love Alan's increasing dislike and disdain for Digital Dave. And a que- question to the group. Is it simply because he finds the voice annoying, which we can see that he does? Is it because he has no control over the questions? Is it because he's scared that it's a device that they've put in so that they can ask him harder questions? Or is it something else? I wouldn't describe anything. I think he's just exacerbated yeah. with the format. Like yeah. it's, It doesn't quite work. He gets annoyed because some of the... Is it life and wife? They like, yeah. can't tell the difference between... It. He's just mm. exacerbated by the whole thing, I think. He's, yeah, yeah, fine. Because would it not be implied that Alan is pretty much scripted this whole thing anyway so i don't think he should be getting annoyed with the questions my my theory is that he digital dave was his idea and that he had imagined it would sound it would sound better than it does um and so he said he said wouldn't it be fun if people if some of the questions come to me through a digital dave character that i've created copyright pear tree um with a sort of stephen hawking voice box and then when it's come through it doesn't sound good He's embarrassed because it's his idea, and so he's just sort of dismissive of the whole thing. Is it time to talk in great length about the end credits? God, I think I it mean, is. Yes. And <laughs> if if this isn't what you were listening to Monkey Tennis for, then you're all listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I look. So, I, I think we we know how much our listeners enjoyed uh, us going down teletext rabbit holes. So you know, very much in the same vein. A list of credits that is on screen for probably 10 seconds is going to warrant probably 20 minutes of chat. Strap in. (laughs) (laughs) I do think there is a lot to learn from this and and, and it it, it is a series of punchlines in their own right. Um, So firstly, they give thanks to UK Conquest, presumably for showing a very brief or alluding to skirmish. Um, the military oh well, yeah. The, 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 the skirmish uh, TX details are actually part of the credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weekdays, yeah. eleven thirty a.m. Yeah. and four thirty p.m. Presumably a deal breaker f- yeah. for Alan. Um, they, they also thank Cater Familius, which I, I wasn't sure if that what the reference was there. Yeah, I can work that out. I feel like it's perhaps a bit of a play on a Latin phrase, but I couldn't quite decipher what the joke actually was. So, if you know, get in touch please do um contact details coming up i enjoyed uh that they credited the archive footage to bbc comic relief pear tree and meteor video so a mixture of real and yep. fake there 
Um, you know, some of those actually did go out for comic relief on the BBC, so it's it's not completely made up. Um, and then we get into the, the nitty gritty facilities on this program by Blue Barn Video, which we have to assume is an offshoot of Blue Barn Media. Yes. Um, so that's that's the Gabatas connection, isn't it? Well, that's part one of the Gabatas connection. Yes. Now I've got some Gabatas stuff which we can either do now or in a minute because I feel like there are basically there, there's Gabit there's a Gabatas wormhole and there is also a separate bombshell in these credits. So which way around do we want to do it? I think let's exhaust the credits and then let's uh, let's tip into Gabatas okay. world. So the next line I enjoy, research by Lynn Benfield, presumably as <laughs> Lynn, Lynn has been tasked with doing additional research about Alan, a man <laughs> who she must, what, at this point, know precious little, like, you know. Um, associate producer. Right, who, this wants one, to, think, who wants to tackle the surname here? I'll give it, I'll give it a go. Uh, Sonia Pushkovskaya. I would go with Push- Pushkovskaya. Is this Sonia Alan Sonia? I'm saying yes. Given, given, is this is this kind of like when an actor is getting quite big, but they're not that great, so you give them an exec producer credit to keep them sweet. Sonia's <laughs> Sonia's been made associate producer, even though she's basically just bringing Alan sandwiches. Well, it, it, probably it's a way for Alan to uh, fiddle the books and just pay her a handsome salary for doing sod all. Yes, that that. But I do I do think in the APU this is the only time we see her full name. Um, I believe so, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I can't see why it wouldn't be the Sonia that we all know and love so well. Yep. Uh, next credit, studio director, Phil Gabatas. Um, that Gabatas wormhole, as promised, coming up shortly. Um, and then probably the pinnacle here, that this is an Apache production. So not Pear Tree. And I wonder either they the writers haven't, you know, hadn't thought of that gag to make it a Pear Tree thing, or to give the illusion of it being editorially um, sound, they've they funneled it through Apache, which most people wouldn't trace back to Oh, Alan. but actually, thinking about it, because obviously he closes Pear Tree in Series 1. In Series 2, when he's um, got uh, Pete the South African, he's it's all about... Pete. Apa- yeah, Pete, it's all about Apache mm, Productions, Apache. isn't it? So yeah. I guess probably... Oh, that's true. Pear Tree was dissolved and then un- undissolved later down the line somehow <laughs> doesn't make sense apache but. is the phoenix that rose yeah. from pear trees flames yes so uh, tom dark talk to us about gabatas all right so i just it's little details like this i find fascinating because it's like why <laughs> are there discrepancies so as you've rightly pointed out in in these credits you've got uh blue barn video and it also says, so studio, it's Blue Bar Video, studio director is Phil Gabatas. In the iPartridge book, it's Pete Gabatas. And Pete Gabatas is the MD of Blue Barn Media, not Blue Barn Video. I just think things like that are interesting because there are so many details that they take from one medium to the next and have it exactly right. It's like, is there a deliberate reason why they change it from Phil to Pete, Pete to Phil, vice versa? I think there's a 50-50 chance here. 50% is that they've just taken their eye off the ball and didn't think this was a key detail. But 50% of me thinks it would be funnier if you had Blue Barn Media run by Pete Gabatas and then his sort of (laughs) underperforming younger brother, Phil, is given Blue Barn Video that puts out tat like this. Yeah, that that, Uh, that could work. (laughs) I I don't think think there's another option, is there? It's, it's, It's error. It's an error. Or it's... Well, it... Yeah, it's either an error or it's not. And if it's deliberate, it's a bit of a weird, yeah. deliberate choice. Um, because, yeah, Pete Gabasas 
does get quite a bit of airtime in the iPartridge book because he's basically seems to be one of Alan's few actual friends. Um, and of course, so yeah. And if you go back to the crash bang wallop clips that we see in I'm Alan Partridge, the producer there is Phil Gabitas. So again, that's, that's uh, in line with this show, but not in line with the book. And I was like, okay, well, that's that's fine. I've done enough research into that. But then I found this. So in 2006, Armando Iannucci directed some adverts for Nationwide, which I didn't realise. Um, however, I do remember the adverts. And in one of these adverts, uh, basically, there is an actor playing a bank manager and he has a name badge on that says Phil Gabitas. So oh, I just like the fact there is there is something going on in terms of uh, Armando, the Armando Unucci universe, the AIU. <laughs> so, okay, I've, I've got a third theory now then. Is it possible that Phil Gabatas is the name of somebody that Armando Unucci knows but doesn't like and it got to the point where the name was becoming too prominent to keep the real name of the person that he doesn't like. Like, like it's not very different. Say, 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 say. No, I know, but but say, say the real Phil Gabatas. If you're using his name on, like, you know, the big tentpole Alan Partridge projects, he's got some legal comeback. Whereas, if you change it to Pete, it's different. There enough could have been some kind of court say. injunction. There could have been some kind of court injunction, <laughs> like from the makers of Cluedo, perhaps. Yes. Um, or yeah. it could also be, for whatever reason, it's a name that Armando finds funny or something like that as well. And I, I think what we do as well, just I reckon you guys will recognise this advert. So, uh, Jez, if we could just play a little clip of this in now, uh, see if you guys remember. Hi there. How can our bank help you? Well, I've just come back from holiday and it seems that the bank has charged me for taking my money out abroad. So, what do you want me to do about it? Well, I was just wondering, it's my money, why have you charged me? Well, uh, you know when you were on holiday, right? Yeah. Uh, and you had that smashing meal down by the, uh, the harbour, yeah. And that, that waiter come over... Waitress. And, yeah, well, whatever. Uh, and he brought you the bill. Did you leave a tip? Yeah, of course I did. Oh, well, there you go, you see. That charge is like our tip. And at the end of the year, we had all those tips up. And it pays for the bubbly at the shareholders' meeting. Got to have a bit of bubbly, having the shareholders. <laughs> but that's my money. Do you like dancing? Because if you like to dance, that's the only place to be. Oh my goodness. Oh, we go crazy. I'm going. We literally just. <laughs> At Nationwide Building Society, we don't make additional charges for using your cards abroad. Nationwide. Proud to be different. So, uh, yeah, uh, Phil Gabatas for, uh, for Nationwide there. I can say I don't recall that advert, but absolute gold star for digging out that absolute deep cut. I can't believe that. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's 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 Mark Benton, the actor. That's it. He was in uh, he was in Strictly um, uh, a, f- a few years ago and uh, has done various um, comedy bits and bobs, including the very underrated Early Doors, which I'm a big fan of. Um, and just to add one more credit discrepancy. Uh, if you look again at the Crash Bang Wallop uh, credits, there is a credit there that says additional material by Ross Woolard. So that's essentially Ray Woolard. So again, another small change. Oh, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and that one's hard. I mean, the fact there's two of them makes it harder to explain. Uh-huh. Why. Hey, there you mm-hmm. go. I told you there were some bombshells coming and God, I was right. 
Oh, I feel <laughs> genuinely shelled. Um, so, yeah, I think the great thing about these credits is that the, the thrust of it is that everybody involved in this is a friend of Alan's uh, or an associate mm-hmm. of his. And I wondered if this is the sort of thing where, you know, local TV stations at this time would often take cheaply made content from elsewhere. And anyone who's kind of watched, you know, those sort of like regional channels will, will see that. So is the narrative that Alan has basically built this show from scratch, knowing he could sell it to local TV and they're so starved of content and budget that they basically have to take it. So, you know, it's like if he pays... Or, or get or pulls in some favors from Blue Barn Video and Apache, he can basically get a half hour, you know, show bigging himself up after one of the roughest periods of his career, hmm. um, and he knows it's going out on TV. Yeah, and also he's basically got his mates a fully commissioned TV show, even though if it is only in a region, because actually around this time, like regional uh, TV was very much a thing, and it was even things like Nick. If you remember this, remember there was a short lived. Uh, local like student TV station in Southampton when we were there. I don't think I ever watched it to be honest, but I... oh, I mean nobody watched it, but it was a thing that existed. <laughs> it was a thing and, you know, that happened in that kind of like early two thousands era. I think people were still trying to make, yeah, almost kind of Wayne's World cable TV type thing, like channels be a thing. So it would tie into that. I mean, because it would either it feels too budget to. It doesn't feel like it's supposed to be. BBC Norfolk or anything does it? It feel it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be, be well probably what BBC Anglia. It doesn't feel like it's supposed to be that level of show, does it? It feels like it's supposed to be very much a two bit, really local station that nobody's actually watching, right? And just the last thing, obviously, as the credits are rolling, we see Peter Bainham asking Alan if he wants to go for a drink, which is you know something Alan has paraded around various establishments of Norfolk and on the phone talking to people asking them if they want to go for a drink with him um, and it does feel it feels a little bit like um, Alan that there's a bit of kinship between the kind of people that Peter Bainham's character Ray is and and Alan well I think it's I think it's kind of proof that actually come the end of the show Alan's kind of lost any sense of um, not respect as such but there's there's no friendship. Uh, there when actually we know that Alan's starved of kind of any kind of friendship and affection and that normally he would probably take uh, this kind of an offer but yeah I think he basically holds a very low opinion um, of of Ray which is why yeah, he does I, th- I think I, I read this as a bit of a pecking order thing because he's like because he does say who's going is it just you and then I've, I really enjoyed there's a very long pause where he goes oh, I'll just go back to Norwich so yeah I think it's like he basically thinks he's above hanging out with somebody like Ray, who in the APU is, I would assume, a less successful broadcaster. Yeah, and uh, Alan is sort of, you know, okay, has ha- has fallen on a bit of a rough time and so has had to stoop to making a programme like this to sort of turn his fortunes around and do a bit of PR damage control. <laughs> um, so... Stepping out of the APU and back into real life, was Anglian Lives worth making? Did you enjoy it? What, what, what's the what's the verdict here? I think the answer to that kind of comes with knowing really the context of why it exists in the first place. And I don't think we do know that context. So it's kind of difficult to answer, Is it wor- was it worth it? It's because we don't really know what it was for, essentially. If it... it... <sighs> It's just a bit of an, a weird sort of anomaly in the APU that doesn't really 
go anywhere, set anything up. It seems I, I get the I get why open books exists. I don't understand why this exists, but I, it feels like there is maybe something that we're missing, but not quite sure. In fact, the more I think about it, the, the more I do think it's a real shame that this doesn't exist to tee up a real bouncing back book. Which also, seeing the prop book on on the set of this, I'd love to know if any of those prop books still exist anywhere. Like if anybody. I mean, this is a long shot, but if anybody listening works on any of these projects, has a copy of the prop book, I'd love to see see what they look like in situ these days. I'd also really love to know, uh, bringing it back to, to I'm on a Partridge Series 2, whether any of the footage of books being pulped were actual fake copies of Bouncing Back or whether that was literally <laughs> just stock footage of pulping happening to oh, someone, yeah. someone else's poor book. I also think my, my view on this is, you know, with taking the context to one side, I didn't think this was funny enough, irrespective of the role that it was sort of designed to play. There's too much archive footage that I'd seen before and the original content felt, whether it was meant to be or whether it was off cuts or, or whatever it was, I just didn't think it felt that funny. And probably not one maybe for now, but I also felt like the I've become so accustomed to the strength of the writing style from the Gibbons that this this Alan and this this style of, of writing kind of felt um uh just from a previous time and that the writing has moved on so much that this just stood out as I very media, agree. quite mediocre yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Um, I felt a lot more charitable to this when I thought it was a DVD extra. I would I would have argued it was an above average DVD extra, but a below average standalone 9pm BBC2 programme. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down to the use of archive footage, even if some of it was quite rare. But also just like there's a bit of a cavalier approach to how much footage they use as well. Like two minutes of the of the country ramble I, I wasn't really into. The Brian Ferry bit went on f- for far too long. Why are we seeing a whole interview between him and a guest on his radio show? It doesn't really make sense in the context of, of what this is supposed to be. That said, there are some really nice throwaway lines. There are some kind of, there are a few universe building moments where we find out a bit more about his divorce from Carol, his attitude to his kids and things like that. Um, so I did enjoy it, but I think I enjoyed it more when I believed it was, you know, a little bit of a throwaway bonus rather than something that's supposed to be sort of taken on its own merits. And I also thought that the Digital Dave stuff had the basis for actually something really funny and what they do with it is quite unremarkable the answers to those questions i think in the hands of the gibbons could have could have revealed some really kind of funny moments and his responses to those questions maybe with the exception of his three rules for life which is quite funny but it's they're really short answers there's very little humor in them but i just felt in the hands of of of, if this had been kind of with that with the, with the Gibbons, I think they could have done something really interesting. I think ultimately, I just felt like this this felt a little bit lazy, which is a bit of a harsh thing to say. But the standard's so high that when it doesn't quite deliver, I think it stands out. And for me, this stood out as not the best. Can I just shock you, Nick? Your point about the Gibbons brothers, I completely agree with. I think we've been so spoiled with this renaissance of Alan in these last decade or so. And I can kind of actually watching this and watching a few of the other things um, that we're covering this series really makes me kind of see how and why Alan has said, uh, Alan, Steve has said in so many interviews that the Gibbons coming in and being involved in the writing process breathed new life into the character and made him exciting for him again. Because if you put 
the Gibbons era next to some of the stuff in here or some of the stuff we covered this series, it's chalk and cheese in terms of quality, which, you know, I think the main crux of, you know, the other stuff that we're covering, covering in this series when it comes to the man who thinks is it and um, less other less successful characters is how the Gibbons having a solo, so to speak, run at doing a new live show, how that compares to the other two previous live shows and this, because yeah, I think we've been spoiled in the last 10 years and it really does kind of put into perspective how good the Gibbons are. Whereas if they got their hands on this, it would be 10 times better. Yeah. I, I, I agree with everything everyone's saying bang on. Um, I think it's interesting as well that I remember when we covered open books and once we kind of really got, got into the discussion, we're like, Oh, actually we all really enjoyed that. And it was kind of a better, proposition than we thought it was on paper like when you actually sit down and kind of delve into the script I think again when you compare this to that you you see how good something like open books is this does feel quite lazy and quite quite slapdash now I think the interesting point with the 2003 context particularly because if you go right back to the BBC website part of the selling point of this documentary is saying it will show rare and previously unseen footage of Alan so at the time, I think that there was maybe kind of going, look, we've got all these these little Alan shorts that have been used over the years and kind of we want to find an opportunity to put them into one place for the fans. But again, it could have been done in such a better way um, or just don't bother at all, arguably. Um, I wonder as well, you know, we know historically how much the writing has gone down to the wire in pretty much every Partridge project possible. So whether they've actually gone oh shit, you know, our show's only 27 minutes long and it needs to be 28. Well, let us let another another minute of Country Ramble run. I wonder whether kind of any editorial decisions like that had to come into play. Um, but I, I do think weirdly, with, with, the, with the benefit of hindsight and all the world building that this adds to, in a way, it feels better knowing that a lot of the detail in this contributed to what the Gibbons brothers would go on and write. So there's a weirdly kind of like a benefit in the future. Um, but yeah, it's it's not great. I mean, I think, you know, the comic relief bits on their own were great. The country ramble on its own was great. Having two, three minute sections of those in a whole half hour special, which should arguably be all new stuff, feels, feels a bit like a wasted opportunity. And especially when you have... Like, you know, the first 10 minutes is nearly all just kind of old clips of him on the day to day and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it's a shame. And I, I think you're right. If if they were going to do something like this now with the writing team, it would be <clears throat> it would be a brilliant piece of programming and something refreshing and new. Whereas, yeah, sadly, this is not it. But I will say I thought the Roy call was great. I thought the Merry Call was great, if not disturbing. So yeah, I, I did enjoy seeing the new bits of him in the studio, but they're probably not strong enough to justify a whole half-hour special that's brand new. So there we go. We've not had the time of our Anglian lives, but what did you think about Alan's one-off special? Um, or indeed, are you the original Phil Gavitas and uh, looking for an opportunity to clear your name? Uh, get in touch with us on Instagram at Muggy Tennis Pod, Twitter at The Partridge Pod, Facebook.com slash The Partridge Pod, The Partridge Pod at gmail.com. Leave us a voice note on the Monkey Tennis hotline 07923 which might be used in a future episode. Or if you've just been enjoying what you've heard and want to throw a couple of quid our way, it's ko-fi.com slash 
slash monkey tennis. All contributions gratefully received. Uh, your homework for next week is to uncover the man who thinks he's it, Steve Coogan's 1998 stand-up special. If you can't th- find it through a paid source, I'm sure you'll be able to find it through some other more nefarious methods. Um, but uh, tune in next week to find out what we thought about, specifically about the Alan section of Steve's uh, big show when he's at the arguably the height of his uh, comedy fame um, and uh, and yeah see how uh, Alan's fares nestled among some of Coogan's other characters um, until then from all of us at Monkey Tennis the Alan Partridge fan podcast thanks so much for listening and goodbye <laughs> yeah. this bad boy baby Sometimes I rhyme quick I was on 125 in St. Nick Chillin' with this chick named Tom DeLeo Was a hot girl and everybody wanted to slay her But she wasn't fond of players Only wanted ballers a spoiler Six figures and camp quarters So what you trying to tell me, dear? I am hopping mad and I want something in the middle Aha! Yup, absolutely, yup, 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 absolutely Monkey tennis? Bring, bring There's a new chat in town I had the last laugh Damn! Monkey tennis? Love this, my foot on his thigh With a chuckle, with a chuckle no. Monkey tennis? Radical, awesome, mega <laughs> Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know Okay Monkey tennis? Edmunds is a total wasp of a guy Yes, 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 yes and yes It's hotter than the sun They said, who the hell is that? <laughs> this is great banter Yeah Back of the net Monkey tennis? The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast The people who've never got it still won't get it Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.